Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, this is Zivi Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And speaking of books, I have two of my own books coming out this spring and summer. Princess Charming is a picture book, which debuts on April 19th, and Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, comes out on July 1st, and it is truly a labor of love. I hope you'll pre-order, order, and join me on tour as I go across the country. You can find out more at zibbyowens.com or bookendsmemoir.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens because I always post about everything. Enjoy the show. Mary Laura Philpott is the author of Bomb Shelter, Love, Time, and Other Exclusives. Mary Laura was the author of the national bestseller, I Miss You When I Blink. She writes essays that examine the overlap of the absurd and the profound in everyday life. Her writing has been featured frequently by the New York Times and appears in such outlets as the Washington Post, the Atlantic, Real Simple, and more. A former bookseller, she also hosted an interview program on Nashville Public Television for several years. Mary Laura lives in Nashville, Tennessee with her family. Welcome, Mary Laura. Thank you so much for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Bomb Shelter, Love Time, and Other Explosives. Thank you, Zibby. And explosive is a perfect word for the success of this book. You were here in New York at the beginning of your tour, which started off with a lot of airplane issues and all of that. (laughs) And I feel like, you know, the universe is like shaking you around. (laughs) Good, bad, up, down, sideways as you go through this tour. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. it's uh, People keep asking, like, how is book tour going post-COVID? And I'm like, I, you know, what I have learned is we are not really quite post-COVID. The world is pretty functional, but, you know, we got to be flexible and things 
travel changes. Sometimes you've got to switch out a moderator because somebody gets sick at home or whatever. But it's, I mean, you know, that is kind of what I write about rolling with uncertainty and keeping, keeping spirits up. So that's true. I guess, I guess I'm on theme. (laughs) Yes. You're on brand. It's uh, it's perfect. Well, for those who are not familiar with you, I just wanted to excerpt this New York Times like glowing glow fest, which I read like in the actual paper yesterday. And had I known you didn't have a copy, I would have saved it and mailed it to you or whatever. <laughs> Thank you. But I was like, I don't know that I've read a better review than this. This is like amazing. It feels like a miracle. And I still sort of feel like, is it, did I dream it? Judith Warner, my new hero. She's awesome. She was on this podcast, by the way, and it's amazing. But just at the end of this review, she says, I want to say something negative about this book. To be this positive is, I fear to sound like a nitwit. (laughs) So then she finds some like random thing. And then she says, the story is still being written and that's all right. The only problem is having to wait to read what comes next. And basically the whole article is just one big glowing thing. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. So bravo to you and thank you to Judith Warner for reviving the idea of pure positivity. (laughs) I mean, it feels like the best luck in the world that it landed in her hands. So I'm grateful to whoever assigned that for sure. Oh, and also, did you see Margaret Rinkle's piece that you were also quoting, which is nice. Are Are you friends in Nashville? We are. We are friends and neighbors and we write together. So she knows this book She has known this book since its tiny, tiny infancy. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, I've jumped in too fast. For people who don't know what your book is even about, aside from the subtitle, can you give like your elevator pitch? Yeah, yeah. So Bomb Shelter is a memoir. It's one of those sort of slice of life memoirs where you get sort of a a chunk of time from someone's life. And it's a two-year period in my life where... A lot of the things that had been stable for a long time were beginning to destabilize. And this was something I was starting to write about a lot anyway, a few years ago. Things like, you know, I've always heard of felt like my parents take care of me, but suddenly we're getting to that time where I'm taking care of them, which is strange. My children uh, are really not children anymore. They're teenagers. They're getting close to leaving the nest. Everything that I took for granted about how my own, you know, human self worked doesn't work that way anymore because guess what? I'm middle-aged and everything is changing. So I was beginning to write about the process of letting go and how you hang on to who you are and the positive parts of who you are when some of that letting go feels really daunting when something happened that kind of kicked that entire theme into a different gear, which was that one morning when my son, the oldest of my two teenagers was in 10th grade, my husband and I woke up to this sound that we, it's, we, I thought it was somebody knocking down our front door. It was bang, bang, bang. It turned out to be the sound of his body hitting the bathroom floor. He had gotten up to get a glass of water at 4 a.m. and just dropped cold, hit the tile. He was having a seizure, we found out. So I tell, at the beginning of Bomb Shelter, I tell the story of that morning, of finding him, calling 911, this day, this long day we spend in the hospital, at the end of which we find out he has epilepsy. And this is not a book about my son. It's not a book about his epilepsy journey. That's a book he'll have to write one day if he wants to. This is very firmly anchored in my perspective as a woman and a mother and a human being who is trapped in a mortal body and loves other human beings who are trapped in mortal bodies. And suddenly I'm having to really reckon with that kind of heavy change in my life or that that heavy understanding in my life 
and try to find my way back to what is normally my optimism and my sense of humor. So I write in this book about how I'm an anxious optimist, which I think sounds like an oxymoron, but is actually a pretty common phenomenon. (laughs) Anyway, long answer to your question, but that's what Bomb Shelter is about. That's amazing. And for everyone who read your first book, which you were on this podcast about and which was amazing called I Miss You When I Blink, you had this passage. I don't know if this is even, it is my original. How do you like that? I had like all these copies of your book all over my apartment. You had this passage, which still like gives me goosebumps when you realize, and can I read this on page 50? Is that yeah. Okay, when you realize that not only does your son have epilepsy, but that he may have had it all along and that part of it could be that when he blinks, he's almost having like a, a seizure that he's almost unconscious, but you can't really tell. I didn't explain that very well. Maybe I should just read it. Oh, and there's another fascinating type of seizure called an absence seizure. Out loud, you pronounce it the French way, absence. But when I see it in writing, I hear it in my head as the English word absence, as in being absent, which makes perfect sense to me because the way this seizure works, the person is there, but they're not there. In an absence seizure, a person has a brief lapse in consciousness. They might be sitting in class or having a conversation, and then all of a sudden they're staring off into space or blinking. Their teachers may describe them as having difficulty concentrating or spacing out. Kids who have this kind of seizure often go undiagnosed for years. If a kid like that spaced out at the dinner table and his blinks were long enough that he appeared to be sitting there with his eyes closed, a parent might think the kid is just having wacky table manners. A parent might spend a decade wondering what her six-year-old meant when he told her, I miss you when I blink. A parent might realize then after 10 years that when he blinked, he was absent. A parent might finally understand that whether he fully knew it or not at the time, her child had been trying to tell her something very important. She might wonder, should I have known? Oh, Yeah, yeah. That should I have known comes up so much in, in this book because you know, I'm somebody who likes to imagine that I have control over things. And that the more I know, like if I just research everything and I, and I understand everything and I fill up my little brain with facts, I'll be able to control the outcome of everything. And then no one will have any unpleasant surprises and it'll all be great. And that is one example of a time where I, I was just pouring over the past and going, was there a sign I missed? What, you know, what, what did I not know to look for that if I had looked for it, I could have spotted it. And then somehow I could have prevented pain and suffering on the part of my loved ones. And, you know, that's a, that's a crazy making cycle to put yourself in. And part of what I'm doing in bomb shelters, trying to get myself out of that cycle, because I really, especially after this happened with my son, but there were other things as well. I really got into a tight little whirlpool of this. Oh no, what did, what did I not control? How did I let all these things happen, which is a, you know, a nutty thing to say, how did I let it happen? As if I am the big puppet master in the sky, you know, controlling what happens in the world. Oh my gosh. Well, it's just beyond moving. And I don't know the way you write it. That's one of the most memorable passages of a book ever. I feel like that, you know, gives me such goosebumps. When you were here with Lee Newman, who was talking about her book, Nobody Gets Out Alive, the two of you had this like amazing conversation about craft and how you wrote. And one of the things you said that's really stuck with me is about how people feel like they know you and that actually you're a private person. And that, you know what? You told 30, you had 38 chapters or 39 chapters. That's 38 stories that you chose to tell. That's not a life. So tell me about, exactly. about that like curation and, and, the, uh, and the illusion almost that you're sharing everything and yet you're being very intentional about what you're sharing. 
Yeah. Well, I, what I wanted to do with bomb shelter that I, I was probably trying to do this with, I miss you when I blink too, but I wasn't conscious of it. Like I was really trying with bomb shelter to deliver a book that would engage and entertain on the same level as, you know, the most engaging novel or TV show or movie or any other piece of, of entertainment that you engage with. I think sometimes there's an assumption that like memoir isn't really craft. Memoir is your diary. Yay. You know, you just print it and off it goes. I mean, you know this, you've been writing personal nonfiction. It is when it is done well, you apply all the, you know, tools and tips of the trade that any storytelling, you know, like showrunner would use. But it also means that when it's done well, you have connected with the reader in a way that makes them feel they are right there in your brain, in the moment. Ideally, you do want them to come away going, oh my gosh, I know that character so well. But when it's memoir and the character is a, it's a me character, you know, based on me, they think they know me so well. So I go, you know, I go out on tour or, or just out in the world and people are like, oh, I feel like you're my best friend. I know everything about you. And I don't want to burst the bubble, but at the same time, I'm like, you, you, you know, 32 things about me. Like you, there's so much of my life. The vast majority of my life is lived outside these pages. And I'm very protective of my own privacy and, and of my loved one's privacy. So it's kind of a funny little, in my mind, a funny little disconnect. But I, I love that people do feel like they know me really well. That means that they feel like they know that me character well, which hopefully means I've, I've done the job. Wow. I love it. And talk about your sentence diagramming. <laughs> I was, so did you, were you, I mean, in school, did you love yes. like diagramming? Yes, I okay. had that too. That, yes. Oh my gosh. I loved it. It was like the first time I learned like the, the subject goes here and the verb goes here and then you put a line and there's the adverb. That to me unlocked this whole visual way of thinking about language and I loved it. So I've always loved taking apart language and actually spatially mapping it out on a piece of paper. But when I was uh, with you in your apartment a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about when I was first transitioning out of what I used to do for a living, which was speech writing and ghost writing and writing op-eds and things like that in the voices of other people and under other people's bylines into writing in my own voice, writing personal essay. I studied how other people write personal essays. And I I vividly remember trying to map, like diagram David Sedaris essays because his are different. Like his, his he does what, what feels very natural to me and what feels very comfortable to my brain, which is that he takes a lot of digressions. And I knew like when I write, I'm going to sort of follow the way my brain works and there will be digressions it might make you wonder at first, where is she going here? But that will bring them back. I promise there will be payoff. There will be reward. So I wanted to see how he did it. And mapping out a David Sedaris essay is this really, it, it creates this very funny little zigzag shape that looks like chaos. But when you map them again and again and again, you can kind of see there's, you know, there's wisdom to it and there's a plan. And he really, he knows what he's doing. And that to me was very comforting to, to be like, okay. I am getting this overall effect from reading his essays where I laugh and I gasp and I have this whole, you know, full emotional experience. And he's doing something very carefully and very on purpose. And I loved, I still do that when I read sometimes. I'll take apart a story and go, okay, how did they do this? It's fun. I love it. Do Nerdy think, fun. <laughs> do you think that 
authors, when they're writing those pieces, are aware? Do you think it happens unconsciously? Or do you think other people like you are thinking about their language as, as building blocks? I know you had also talked about your love of Lego, Legos in some way or how you think of things as Legos. And, you know, I'm convinced you are a complete spatial, like you probably parallel park really well, right? Like you no, have- No, I failed my driving test because I couldn't parallel park. Oh my gosh, I'm wrong. Okay, I thought it was just me. I failed my driving test twice. Awesome. <laughs> um, but I feel like the way you think about things is is much more spatially, linearly, you, you know, taken apart. I just assumed it would have practical- my Lessons, yeah, my spatial no. my spatial awareness inside my my mental headspace is much better than my spatial awareness in the actual world. In the actual world, I walk into doors, I can't parallel park, I drop things, it's a mess. But in my mind, my mental headspace, it's all very yeah, you're right. It's very spatial. And you're making me realize like I've never really put this together before. I wrote my thesis way back 90 billion years ago about Sylvia Plath's poetry and psychological space and how she, mm. she builds space in her poems, beehives and rooms and doors and hallways and all that sort of stuff. And that's, I think I've always been sort of drawn to psychological space, but I do, I, I can't speak for any other writers, but I am assuming that if, if you've done well, if you have, if you've gotten to where you're very good at the craft of writing, there's got to be a really granular attention to every little thing, you know, the words, the order, the sentences. I, you know, maybe people don't <laughs> don't draw things out like I do on a piece of paper to see what shape they are. Maybe that might be a little loony, but uh, yeah, I think everybody's got their own way that they've worked out in their head for how they organize thoughts and words and things. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> I, I thought for a while that you know, to, to identify future writers, you could, you could just find like the most anxious child in the classroom. <laughs> you you, you might his, not be so wrong. <laughs> who loves to read, right? Like mm-hmm. the child who's anxious, but loves to read. Like, I, I, I feel like I should go and like scatter little cards, like call me <laughs> in 20 years, call me. Right. But, but I think another, another one I, I I do feel there's this usually this pull between being so inside right inside your brain and always analyzing things and 
observing and whatever. And then this complete like lack of awareness in the real world, like you're talking, like physical space, like what you were saying. So, you know, my theory of you is disproved, but maybe it's all to justify (laughs) the fact that I'm constantly walking into people and like my husband has to take me by the shoulders in airports. So I'm not like walking into everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I'm constantly, if I I remember, you know, pre-COVID the days of actually shopping in stores, I was always apologizing to mannequins Yes. That, you know, that I would think were people because I would like walk up and, oh, sorry. Oh, wait, you're not real. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So for those listening, if you have walked into someone else lately, <laughs> you might be a writer. <laughs> yeah. You're just, you're just very busy in your interior. You've yeah. got things going on on the inside. It's fine. <laughs> so you have been around people lately who have been reading your book and giving you feedback. You just were at the LA Times Book Festival. You've been out in the world touring. What does this feel like? What does it feel like, aside from people feeling that they know you, mm-hmm. to, to interact with the people who essentially you're writing it for? I mean, some of this feels like you're writing it almost for you, right? You're making sense of time that was very stressful. And it wasn't just about the epilepsy. Obviously, this it, it goes far, far, far beyond that and your parents. It, there's so much in this book. But when you come face-to-face with someone who takes just that information and talks to you about it, like, how does that feel? And do you, like, what, how are you feeling about that? Or has there been a conversation that you're like, this is why I did this? It's been a huge relief. You know, there's this, and I know you know this feeling, this hope where when you are building the book, you are hoping that it makes sense outside your own head and that other people will read it and go, oh yes, this is what I wanted to read. When you write a memoir in essays like this, which like you said, is not just about one thing. It's about a lot of things that do ultimately come together. My hope, of course, is that people are going to want to read it and then read it and feel glad that they did. One of the things that I, that people have been saying and I've heard it now more than once and I'm really clinging to it because I love it is, oh, this is the book I didn't know I needed to read. Because, you know, you might not walk into a bookstore and go, you know what I need? I need a memoir by a person who hasn't done anything really that remarkable. And it's about a million different things. And it's maybe it's got a turtle on the cover. You know, no one comes into a bookstore describing this exact book. But I think many people out there, at least what I'm seeing is that many people out there are in a state where they too have had something that has turned their world upside down, or they've been recently through some kind of phase of life where stability got destabilized. And they too are trying to find a way back to feeling good and feeling like themselves. And they want to kind of have this full cathartic experience where they can have a good cry and then have a bunch of really good laughs and get to the end and go, okay, I feel good. You know, I may not be as just one little individual able to fix everything that's wrong in the world, but the things I am doing in my everyday life do matter. That's where I land in bomb shelter. Like what I do matters. I find meaning in this everyday existence that I have. And I think a lot of people are looking for that meaning. So the more I hear from people who are are validating that and kind of saying that all back to me, I feel hugely relieved because I feel like, okay, maybe I actually did it. Have there been books for you that you felt like you didn't know you needed and then you read it and you were like, oh, thank God. All the time. That's my my favorite feeling in in reading a book or, or watching a movie or whatever is pleasant surprise. When I go into something, I'm like, eh, I'm probably not going to like this. And then I love it. Like 
I remember during the the height of the pandemic when we were home, you know, all the time, my family watched more TV than in all the years of my life prior to that combined. <laughs> I mean, we we're just not a big TV family, but we have become a big TV family. And I I've never watched superhero movies like those. Just they've never appealed to me. There's a lot of explosions and stuff, and it sort of hurts my eyes. So I'm always like, I can't watch this. We watched WandaVision. Have you seen this? I have not. Okay, I'm telling you, go watch WandaVision. <laughs> okay. I went in. I went into it with the lowest expectations because the, you know my kids were like, it's Marvel, it's the universe, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what any of this means. It's a. It's like seven or eight episodes. They're almost like mini movies about, and here's where you're going to know that I don't watch these movies because I don't know what I'm talking about, but it's Wanda. She's this character. I think she's also like a witch and she has powers. But anyway, it is about love and family and getting through grief and the magical thinking that we do in our minds when we want to be able to control the outcome of everything, but we can't. And three or four episodes into this little eight show arc and we were watching it like as it was released each week along with the rest of the world so i was also following along on twitter as people were tweeting about it people were going what is this show about this is so strange and my kids were like what is this about i was sitting on the sofa going i get it it is about motherhood and it is about love and it is about control and i had that like pleasant surprise feeling of thinking i thought i wasn't going to get this at all and then i loved it so that's i try to be open minded in my reading in my in my consumption of all sorts of entertainment because there is so much out there that you don't know you need you know the whole memoir genre like the the everyday life memoirs to me are always that way i can i i feel pretty confident that if i walk over to the wall of the bookstore where the biographies of non-celebrity people live i can pull almost anything down off that shelf and feel pleasantly surprised by it in the end, because it will, if, if it's by someone who's a good writer, they will have found some universal feeling that is familiar and gives me relief and makes me feel less lonely when I read it. So I'd, I'd love to be pleasantly surprised. It's fun. I completely agree about that section. I, I love memoir and yours is like a perfect example of this, but like, People getting through anything. People just getting through life. That's all we do. Right. We all have that right. in common. There's nothing more we have in common than trying to get through life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Totally. And, not, and it doesn't always mean that there has to be something major, right? It doesn't have to be a memoir about, you know, being in the middle of, of you know, it's not one of these extreme situations because for the most of us, right. it, although we've had, everyone's had their share of, of stuff, most of the time you're living a pretty, you know, non right you know, well you know what i mean i totally do yeah like i mean i'm 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 happy to read a memoir by someone who you know escaped being kidnapped by pirates exactly. that yes. sounds very interesting yes but if that book about escaping pirate kidnapping is any good yep what that writer will have done is tapped into something universal that makes me identify with that kidnapped person on a pirate ship and that universal thing they're tapping into, we can also tap into in any story about anything, even the most mundane daily existence, which on a plot level maybe matches more up with the way most of us live. Very true. I love it. 
Amazing. So what are you, are you going to work on next? Oh man, I got to figure that out. I don't know. I, I have such envy of all my friends who do who have this like rhythm where they finish a book, turn it in while the editor has that book, they start their next book. I, that's, I stay so in the headspace of the full book life cycle. So I'm very much still in bomb shelter world because I'm on tour right now for bomb shelter. I, I, my hunch would be that once the travel slows down and I'm back home and I'm back in the place where I tend to do all my thinking, which is like sitting on my back porch, staring off into the trees, something will bubble up, but I have no idea what. So that's sort of a scary, for me, this is a, this is always a scary part of the life cycle because I'm like, what if that was it? What if that was my last good idea? I have nothing left. I vividly remember that when I got home from my Missy, when I blinked to her going, well, it's been a good run. I hope everyone enjoys my one and only book. And then, you know, sure enough, like days later, this book started coming to life. So I'm, I'm hoping that, that that life cycle regenerates. I'm not worried. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> last question. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Oh gosh. Yes. Right, 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 right. Every single day. If you can, if your life does not support an everyday writing habit, that's fine. Write when you can. Read like crazy and read with a pencil in your hand so that you can take notes on what other writers do well, what you think other writers don't do well and you want to avoid in your own writing. Underline sentences you love. Read sentences that you love out loud so your ears can learn that melody and learn that rhythm so that then when you're writing, you can kind of find your way to your own melody and rhythm and just, you know, hang in there. I think we, I think we talked about this when I was visiting you a couple of weeks ago, you are in your writing career, even when you are in the part before you have a contract and before you are making money and before you are known as an author, the writing career doesn't begin when your book comes out. Your writing career begins when you start writing. So even if no one else takes you seriously or believes that you are a writer or believes that you are an author, if you believe it and you work at it as if it is your job, that's how you keep going. I love that. When I was at home with my kids for years and years and years, in my head, I was joking like that I should answer, I'm a non-practicing writer. You know, all these non all these non-practicing lawyers get to say that. Like what exactly. the heck? Exactly. Right? Exactly. Except that you actually probably were a practicing writer because if I know you, you were probably applying those writing those writing chops to like everything. Emailing the weekly play group. That's probably a really good email. <laughs> I'll have to go back in. Different name, different email address. Right. What, did I, what did I have in there? You know. <laughs> anyway. Well, Mary Laura. Congratulations on the success of Bomb Shelter, which I'm completely not surprised about. And I can't wait to read what bubbles up next for you. And in the meantime, I hope you get through this tour without any more major incidents, but hanging on all the positivity that's come and and all the good news, which is so well-deserved. Thank you, Zibby. All right. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy, 
Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zivi Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.